Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant. AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. But part of the nature of alcoholism is a desire for more. It's a disease of more. More, more. We always think more is better. But that's also the American way. That's the way we as Americans have been indoctrinated for years. More, more, more is better. Well, a great adage in the theater is less is more. I mean, in art, less is more. Well, in life, less can be more. That was Keith David. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Um, Before we get going on Keith David, I want to apologize on behalf of the show for last week's episode. We had on Matt Walsh. It is uh, episode 125 of this podcast. I think in the history of the show, we've never had the sort of technical misstep that occurred last week. For some inexplicable reason, my producer and I uploaded the wrong file. Uh, In turn, what you heard, or what some of you heard, was uh, a recording that was unedited, unexamined, um, and completely untouched by us, uh, which did not include an intro, an outro, musical breaks, editing of any kind. And uh, that is not something you know we have any interest in putting out, but we did it. And uh, I want to thank those of you that wrote in. And I also want to clarify, um, because a few of you did write in personally to say that there was some um, awkward tension between Matt and I about something he said to the extent of don't ask me 
that question. Um, that was completely a bit. Maybe the bit didn't land because there was no context and I wasn't recording the whole bit that he was doing. But there was nothing that I could not ask him. And in fact, since we're here talking about it, everyone who comes on this show, from Malcolm Gladwell to Norman Lear to Lena Waithe to Robert Downey Sr. to Jenny Slate, it doesn't matter who comes on, to my mom, to my dad, I ask all of them the same thing, which is, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Um, I ask that because I think a lot of people going into interviews are afraid that the journalist is going to get them on something, that their motives are not entirely pure. And um, I don't fancy myself a journalist on this show, at least not anymore. I don't know what that means for the show, but I know what it means for me. And uh, I have no interest in getting people. And so I say that before every podcast and in the history of the show, in 125 episodes, no one has ever said anything that we cannot talk about. Um, So that is that. I apologize again on behalf of the show for putting that out there. It's not something uh, we're proud of, but it happened. And thank you again to all those who wrote in. For this week, we have on Keith David. He has been in truly hundreds of movies and television shows. He he really doesn't need much of an introduction, but uh, in case you want a brief update, he has worked with every kind of director, from John Carpenter to Spike Lee to Darren Aronofsky to Oliver Stone. He's been in films like Platoon, Clockers, Armageddon, They Live... All kinds of TV shows from Community to Enlisted. He's a man who really does not stop working. And for good reason. He has one of the most distinct screen presences of any actor I believe working right now. Moreover, I think his voice is in the like Mount Rushmore of great voices. And uh, it's a joy to have him on just to hear him talk. And it was a joy to have him on to have him talk about his life working with every sort of filmmaker on every sort of film, Uh, being a father, being a partner, being a working actor in this industry for uh, now four decades. He has a lot of life and work experience that he can share, and uh, he shared it. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And here, finally, is Keith David. Before we started recording, you were talking about how one is raised and who they are raised by. Mm-hmm. And uh, it dawned on me, you, you were born in Harlem, but you grew up in East Elmhurst in Queens. In Queens, yeah. Your parents, Lester and Dolores. When you think back on them now. Today is my father's birthday, by the way. Are you serious? His 82nd birthday. No shit. Mm-hmm. Well, look at that. When you think back and you're looking at your, you know, yourself as a kid, how were they as parents? Young. You know, I often said to her, my mother's deceased now, uh, but we grew up together. You know, uh, 
Uh, but my mother was a very well-raised kid. So unlike many parents at that age, she did have a good frame of reference. She also had a good support from both sets of grandparents. Mm. Um, so, you know, I had a magnificent childhood. Mm. She was a telephone manager? Yes, she worked for the phone company. And your father, a payroll operations director? Yes. Does your father think you guys were also uh, coming up at the same time? sort of uh, like, in, a, in a different way. I mean, you know, <clears throat> uh, my father... At those times, you know, he was, he, you know, he was 20 years old, so he was, you know, still uh, hanging out, sowing oats. Um, uh, Were you aware of that? Things you discover later on in life. But he took me everywhere, you know. I mean, I was, I was, I was you know, his firstborn, and, um, and, and he was very proud of that. So I hung out, you know, I would, you know, in some places where kids probably shouldn't go. Right. But my father also knew certainly many of the local gangsters and whatever, you know, quote unquote. And uh, This is in New York in the in 60s. And, um, and so I met, I met, I met uh, uh, guys who were associated with Bumpy Johnson or whatever. And, and uh, I met these guys. Now, do I remember them? One I remember. Um, but the rest of them might have don't, you know, they're, you know, a very faint memory. You know, I, when he when he tells me about it, <laughs> you know, I can vaguely recall just being in places where there were a lot of people. And, you know, but you know, no, 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 terribly clear remembrances about that. So, and it was more like you know, a brief exposure encounter kind of thing than than an immersion. Mm. What is your own earliest personal memory of growing up in Queens? Not one that your parents told you about later on. Oh, well, I remember once, uh, I don't remember what time of year it was, but I remember my folks had a party and I saw a piece of dry ice in the bathtub, not knowing it was dry ice, and I took a piece of it and I burned a hole <laughs> In the side of my cheek, and they would, you know, like they were like, "What are you doing?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I moved. We moved out of that neighborhood when I was when I was nine. Uh, I have, you know, memories of uh, I'm meeting cousins who live next door. I was a seven-year-old street evangelist because I went to the church across the street from me. You sang in choir, right? I sang in the choir there, but I, that, that was before, that was, these are years before I sang in the choir. I was just a, a you know, a young kid who went to, the, went to the local church, went to, went to Sunday school there. Miss Larson was there. Pastor McConnell and Miss Larson. And the pastor's son was Timmy. He was my age. Uh, I remember what, you know, and, and it was in those times we used to go around doing, you know, neighborhood evangelism. And I used to, and I used to want, at that time, I wanted to be a preacher. 
you know, but I watched a lot of TV and, you know, when I saw Father Knows Best, I wanted to be a, and not Father Knows Best, when I watched the Donna Reed show, I wanted to be a pediatrician mm. like Carl Betts. Uh, so, so you were pretty impressionable. Yeah, but, you know, and I, you know, with a great imagination, um, active imagination, shall I say. But I also, you know, when I watched those things, I, you know, there was some inclination of, uh, like, I could do that, you know. I wanted, you know, I wanted to, to do that. And it wasn't so much about wanting to be on TV. It's just, I think, I think when I think about it, it's just wanting, you know, I could, I could tell those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my my ambition wasn't to be a TV star or a movie star, but to tell stories. Mm, where do you think that comes from? Uh, God, you know, and 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 my fam- I had I came from a gr- wonderful family of storytellers, you know, tale weavers, you know, you know, sitting on the porch telling lies, and right? Great jokes. We don't like to say lies. I like to well, say it, embellishments. Embellishments, you know. I mean. Uh, it's much better that way. Well, it's, you know, I mean, I, and I don't mean, I don't mean uh, uh, lies in the sense of, um, you know, um, deep untruths. I do mean embellishments. Uh, and so, you know, I know I, I, know I wanted to, to do that. Mm. You know. Did that carry over into you in high school? What kind of kid were you then? Oh, I went to the high school of performing arts. Mm-hmm. So by that time, I knew I wanted to be an actor. I started studying acting when I was 12. The Harlem School of the Arts was uh, a few years in existence. And I I started going in 67, I think. And um, I was there, I studied with a woman there named Marion Quick. She was my very first acting teacher. And uh, that same year, I was about 13, and I auditioned for the uh, Hunter College Opera Company. Mm. And uh, the the man who was he was he was like, you know, you have a you have a you have a good voice, but uh, you're a bit too young to be singing opera. So um, it it took another two years in, in another year, two years. And my grandmother introduced me to my first singing teacher. She, her, one of her associates, my grandmother worked in the OR as a nurse's assistant, nurse's aide. And, um, and one of her co-workers, sisters, was a woman named Cynthia Burke. And so she took me to a concert of Cynthia Burke's. And consequently, Cynthia Burke introduced me to, well, at, this, at the concert, Dr. Northern was there, and that's when I first met Dr. Chauncey Northern, who was my very first singing teacher. I met him when I was 15, and uh, he agreed, he, you know, I auditioned for him, and he, he agreed to uh, start to train me. Did you feel like you were uh, the kind of teenager that was ambitious? Ambitious? Uh, yes. Um, and and that was it, it, in the sense of that I was anxious to learn, and I I didn't I, I didn't know at that time that acting was a craft. I did know that it was something I wanted to learn more about. And the more I studied, the more I understood that, you know, it's not just about. I mean, 
by the time I, by the time I got, in, uh, uh, got into high school and started training at, uh, at performing arts, I had a teacher, Mr. Capaletti, John Capaletti, and he, I, I would hold him responsible for my beginning to grasp that acting was more than just getting up there saying the lines, that there was more to it than that. And in the subsequent 10 years, I stayed studying. Uh, I, went to, I went to SUNY at Purchase, and then, and then I went to the, the Negro Ensemble Company, and then I ultimately graduated from Juilliard. Mm. So you were pretty dedicated throughout this process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that. You say, you say that not... Well, I mean, I didn't... I, you know, even looking back on it, yes, it was dedication. But I, at the time, that's not what I called it. I, just, I was just hungry. I guess you can look at that kind of hunger as dedication. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not what I was calling. I was just doing what I thought was best. How did your parents feel about your hunger? My parents were wonderfully gently supportive. They came to see me and, and you know, whenever they could, and they mostly could. My grandmother was my greatest supporter. She came to practically everything. Hmm. Uh, sometimes my mother wouldn't always go to a performance because she said, I, you know, especially when I was singing, because she's listening, I've heard that song a hundred times. I don't need to go hear it again, you know? <laughs> Because I'd be practicing around the house, you know, all the time. Right. Uh, and, 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 well, you know, and we, we had a great uh, sense of humor about it. And she, she was always, uh, it was, she was always thrilled when she did come. And she always made me nervous because she always, she always, uh, uh, I was always hyper aware that my mother was in the audience. And because she was privy to some of my rehearsal process, she would know things that other people wouldn't know. So, mm. uh, you were more nervous about your mother being there than oh, your father and, being there. Uh, you know, my parents, uh, uh, I grew up with my stepfather. My parents separated when I was seven. So, you know, they would come separately, uh, you know, later on. And uh, yes, my mother always, even as an adult, I was always a little bit nervous because, you know, I, I, I wanted my mother to be impressed. I wanted. I wanted her. If if I got my mother's approval, right, then I get. I felt like I was doing okay. There's something about sons and mothers yeah. that we need to satisfy them, because if they are satisfied, then it kind of seems like everyone else will fall in line. Well, you know, my my mother saw the best and worst in me, and she always said something that would always that would cause me disturbance. And she would say, I know you. I birthed you. I know you. Uh, and, and I was like, you know, you know, I, I, you know my, certainly my adolescent bristle would, would, would pop up. You don't know me. Yeah, you think you know me. <laughs> but ultimately, I found out that, you know, she probably knew me a lot better than I knew myself. Uh, because, I, and I did get to share this with her before she passed away, that, Everything that my mother ever warned me about life, I discovered to be true. 
all the all those things you know my own personality the 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 um my own tendencies and things to watch out for she you know it always I could always circle back to, you know, my mother told me about that, you know, you know. Mama told me there'd be days like this, you know, and it, and I got to share that with her and I was it was a it was a profound moment for me, but also, I mean, you know, it was a great sharing for the both of us. I said, you know, Ma, you know. You know, she's like uh, my mother was like my hero. I'm 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 an original mama's boy. I love my mother to life. <laughs> you know. Uh, and 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 it was because you know because you know I used to tease her, you know I said Ma you know we're so close in age that when, you know by the time you get to be an old woman I'm going to be an old man, <laughs> uh, uh, and and she didn't she didn't live to be an old woman really, uh, you know she was only seventy three when she died, uh, and I I looked forward to those to to spending old old time you know old people time with her but you know I have to do it in my heart now mm. before she passed did you feel like uh, you knew her um, yes and you know as well as you know you can get to know somebody I mean I'm, you know I mean uh, she was also a kind of very private person my mother was a Taurus and very close to the best so you know Yes, I knew her, but you know, I'm 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 sure, and I'm I'm positive that there were lots of unfoldings that wouldn't have occurred until now. You know, if 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 we were having a conversation right here, right now, there would be things that she could share with me that would be a, a discovery at that moment. Really, you felt like that? <laughs> you know. Uh, I know she was a very sensitive woman and, I mean, a very loving human being. I mean, all, all my friends called her mom. And again, she was younger than most of my other friends' mothers. But she was a very mature woman as well. I, I, I guess when you, when, you, when you have children young, you have to grow up a little faster. So she, she, didn't, she, 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 she wasn't a frivolous young mother. She was a very responsible young mother. I think it took my father a few more years to grow up in that sense. Boys are slower, you know. Did their separation affect how you uh, saw him? Uh, not right away. I mean, not right away. I mean, I, I, you know, I was such a, a hypersensitive kid. You know, I had some kind of fantasy that it had something to do with me, so maybe I could fix it, and I would pray for it to be fixed like that. But, you know, by the time I was, by, certainly by the time I was 15, I began to understand, I don't begin to know what the, the straw that broke the camel's back reason why they separated, but I do understand why they separated. You know, they, you know, certainly they, they, you know, they, my mother used to say, I love you don't mean come live with me. And I, and I, and I know that that is, that was a, that was a factor in their relationship. And, and I, 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 I began to understand that profoundly, you know, uh, when I got to, in my middle teens. In your early twenties, 
By the time you are, let's see, I'm doing the numbers here. 23, 24, 25, you're in a few... uh, I was already out in the world working at that time. Yeah, you're out in the world working. Um, Before we dive into movies, I have to say, I've done enough research to know that you have done a lot of interviews in the past. But all the interviews that I have found of you sound almost exactly the same. And it's not your fault. It's because you've been asked the same series of questions. Hello. (laughs) So, um, right now, as far as I know, this is the only time maybe you've been asked about this stuff. Um, And I'd like to continue down that path of uncharted territory, if you're okay with it. If I don't want to answer any of your questions, I won't. But until we get there... Okay, great. So you are, let me do, 25 when you get the thing. 25. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to know, besides the work itself, how did uh, your parents' separation, but also your close relationship with your mother, affect your relationships with people while your work is coming into shape and you're, and you're getting the career that you worked so hard to get. I, I was that hypersensitive kid. However, there did come a point far before I was 25 when I asked my parents, you know, I, I tried to ask them individually, you know, what happened? Why did you, right. why did you break up? You sort of sit them down and, and interrogate. Uh, and both of them told me it was none of my business. <laughs> and, you know, of course that sort of immediately bruised my ego. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also came to profoundly understand whatever it was, was none of my business. So uh, what you're asking me, you know, had really no bearing mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, I was, I was over that by that time. Right. Uh, I will say that it cropped up again uh, when... when, when uh, um, this is my. I'm in my second marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm deeply into my second marriage now. I've been with my. my I've been with my wife for since 20, the 90s. I've been with my wife, yes, uh, 20. I think we're going on 22 years now. Um, but in my first marriage, uh, we were both products of divorce, and we talked about that. Uh, we had. I, me- I remember. I remember the setting anyway. I don't remember the exact restaurant, but we were in, but we were sitting, you know, sort of in an outdoor restaurant. We were talking about, you know, before we get married, let's, you know, what, what do we want? And how do we, what do we see ourselves and all this, kind of, <laughs> you know, this kind of conversation. And we were talking about the fact that we have both come from divorced people. And in the middle of that conversation, it then dawned on me, and this, was, this conversation happened 30 years ago. I remember it exactly. And it dawned on me in the middle of that conversation, wait a minute. Yes, my biological parents divorced. But I, my mother and stepfather have been together for over 30 years. So marriage can work and does work. And it was like, wow. And that's one of the things when you go back, I'm going back to asking me about how did that affect me when I got to be 25 and working, you know. It's like, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, th- that, was a, that was a sort of hidden internal thing. But I'd been over that, I'd been over that for quite a while because although I probably, I, mean, I know I gave my stepfather 
a, a, a hard way to go at first. But it wasn't long before I discovered that not only was he the best thing that ever happened to my mother and our family, but he was a great man. He was a wonderful man and a, phen a phenomenal role model. That's what a man looks like. Mm. You know, he came into this marriage. Now, he had four grown-up children, but he came into this and he accepted us uh, with open arms. I mean, at, at first there was a kind of a kid glove kind of handling, but um, with me more than my brother, because my brother was two years younger and uh, didn't have the same issues that I had. Um, but I just came to love that man dearly. He was such a, such a, he was one of the most decent persons I have ever uh, uh, come across in my life. He was a good man. If you look up good man in the dictionary, there's a picture of Henry Dickinson. That was his name? That was his name. Good name. Henry A. Dickinson. Yeah. Hmm. So it didn't affect you too much, and and probably because well, of course, it, 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 in fact, it affects me a lot. I mean, you know, I mean, because I I, I remember that, uh, uh, you know, his influence very very much, uh, you know. And again, the maybe because I'm an actor, but uh, you know, I, I'm always looking for ways to understand myself better, mm -hmm. to understand the human condition better. So I took one of these life, you know, how to be a better human being kind of courses. And one of the things that they talked about was getting straight with your relationship with your parents, you know, because a lot of, you know, uh, and, and, you know, men and women, we grow up and if you are happy, you hold your parents, it's, have some responsibility. And, it's, and especially when you're unhappy, many times you want to blame your unhappiness on the dysfunctionality of your core family. Your mama was this, your papa was that. And unconsciously, maybe I had some of that stuff, but consciously, you know, that, that kind of stuff burned off very quickly. Mm. You know, I did realize that the more uh, I tried not to be like my father in the ways that I didn't like about him, the more that I was pointing myself in that kind of direction mm. uh, and how much like him like that I could, I, I could be. I have, you know, today I have a profoundly wonderful relationship with my father because I understand that he was just a man doing the best he could at the time. He was, he was young and, and didn't know any better. And he had, and he had, he had good upbringing too. But, you know, um, one of the things that we do as young men is, as uh, you try to get away from all the, the 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 wonder of your upbringing and try to you know do it on your own only to discover that you know you better stop doing that or you know you 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 burn out quickly mm. so in that way what were you doing uh in the early 80s as a young 20 year old I man? was into everything but a coffin <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that well, happy <laughs> well, we can sidestep some of that. <laughs> I had a lot of fun, you know, uh, well, until you know, it wasn't. <laughs> right. I was, I was, I actually, was going to be my question. When did the fun start and when did it end? 
who knows when the, you know, I mean, I, the discovery of, you know, drugs and alcohol, you know, started, you know, mid-teenage years and lasted till for another 20, 25 years. 20, 25 years at least, at least 25 years. I, you know, I, 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 you know I, I used to make a joke about, you know, if you ever saw that movie, Ray Milan got an Academy Award for a movie called Lost Weekend. Mm-hmm. Brilliant movie about alcoholism. And I say Ray, Ray Milan's, he, he had a lost weekend. My lost weekend lasted 25 years. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it was, it was a, a very long weekend. It was a very long weekend, right? Uh, you know, and uh, finally, you know, I mean, I was uh, I was in my early forties when I finally decided I got to give all that stuff up mm. and uh, and uh, get a grip, get a good grip. Mm. Although, from the outside perspective. If someone's looking at your resume, although all that crazy stuff may have been happening, you are remarkably productive in this time. Well, you know, I mean, just like many, like many of us, especially from that period, we are very functional. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, some people descended into total dysfunction. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I never descended into total dysfunction. Just mild I, dysfunction. You know, you know, I had my mild dysfunctionality, you know. Uh, and, and there came a point where I had to stop. You know, you know when the insanity stops. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, there was, that was a conscious decision. This may be strange, but do you think the insanity helped the acting in some way? Um, you know, we can, have, we can have many arguments about that, you know. No, <laughs> no. We could have no arguments about it. No, I mean, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think. I mean, in order to be who I am today, I had to, I had to go through the path that I went. Mm-hmm. So no complaints and no regrets. However, I don't fool myself that if I didn't do any of that stuff, that I might not have been as productive. I don't. I mean, of course, there's no way of there's no way of knowing that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what. What other distractions would have come my way? Mm. I don't know. Uh, but did I need to do it that long? Hell no. <laughs> no. I didn't, I didn't need to. It was, it was an overindulgence. But part of the nature of alcoholism is uh, a desire for more. It's a disease of more. More, more. We always think more is better. But that's also the American way. That's the way we are. We as Americans have been indoctrinated for years. We need more. More, more, more is better. Well, a great adage in the theater is less is more. I mean, in art, less is more. Well, in life, less can be more. Mm. Do you remember the moment where the more and more bled into a situation where you thought, well, early 40s, I gotta, I gotta stop. I, <laughs> Too many, far too many to mention here, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to waste up my time, waste your time or mine with a drunkalog or a, <laughs> you know, a, uh, you know, regurgitation of, you know, behaviors that I, you know, um, some of which I, some of which I, uh, 
I do regret in some way, and you know, I didn't have to. I didn't have to go that far. Mm. Uh, however, there it was. There it is. And, so it goes. And so it goes. Uh, I don't dwell on it. Mm. Um, I'd like to hit on uh, two movies in the '80s that mean something to me, and maybe they mean something to you. The first one I ever saw you in, I believe, was. Armageddon, but I think actually the one that I really processed you in was in Platoon. What's the matter with you, man? How come you ain't writing nobody? What about your folks? That grandma you was telling me about? Girl? You got a mother and father, don't you? There must be somebody. Nah, there's nobody. You've been smoking too much of this shit, too. Gotta control that, bring a man down. I mean, when you first come out here to the bush, he's green as that. <laughs> you ever get caught in a mistake that you just can't get out of, okay? Way out of anything, man. Just keep your pecker hard and your powder dry, and the worm will turn. When you look back on the movie, with you and your family, maybe they ask you about it. Maybe they don't ask you about it. They don't. <laughs> what is the sort of memory you have of being in the trenches of making that film? Um, the thing you hold on to. The thing that I hold on to is, you know, I never, you know, my stepfather was in the service. And uh, I, and some from other friends and, friends' fathers who, you know, were in the service, my uncles who were in the service, um, they talked about the ser- being in the service as uh, opportunities for them to become better men. And the, 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 the best of them took advantage of that opportunity. Before Platoon, I never thought, I, I didn't think I had the temperament to be in the army, people telling me what to do, and blah, 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 blah. And that's, you know, all the stuff that you hear about it or you see in other movies that you think you don't want to deal with. The thing that I came away with from Platoon was the value, the deep value of being a team player, being a, a responsible link in a strong chain and, being, and holding that responsible. You know, one of the things that, one of the things that we used to, you know, that uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dale Dye, Captain Dye taught us was never rat fuck your buddy. That was one of the sayings we had over there. And that, you know, these, those kinds of, those kinds of core values really stuck with me. What's a rat fuck? Uh, You know what a rat fuck is. You know, when when you, when you do bad things, uh, you lie and cheat on your, on your friends. I mean, it's bad enough to do it as it is, but to do it to, you know, I mean, it's, it's a betrayal to betray your buddy. Mm. You know, I mean, that's, I've that's done just that a note. You know, You've done I'm, it more than once. I like three times. You know, who's counting? Me. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you know, but when, and when you do it, you know, you feel like a low life after, you know, if you have any consciousness whatsoever, mm. you know, and, 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 and if you're any, any kind of man at all, you, you try at least to clean it up and make amends for it. Uh, knowing that, I don't, I don't, I don't, 
I don't want to go. I mean, I, as willing as I am, and I am very willing to make amends where I, when I, where I have screwed up, I want to make amends for that. But, uh, but, you know, I try not to do things to have to make amends for. But sometimes, you know, inadvertently you can hurt someone's feelings. Lying on somebody or, or you know, rat-fucking him in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I certainly don't do it on purpose. Was it hard to avoid um, rat-fucking? <laughs> like, uh, growing up sort of in film and television, you know, you start at 24, 25 and by the time you're in your early 30s to mid-30s, you're actively working. And it is a very competitive field, as you know. When I grew up, I grew up in the theater, first of all. And yes, there is there's competition. And, you, know, it, you know, I mean, but, I, you know, you know that, kind of, that kind of ethic, I certainly witnessed it. But it was never part of my immediate upbringing. In, 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 in all of the training that I have had, I guess there's no, other, there's no better way to put it that we're competing for this role. But I never, you know, I don't, I don't think of, comp- you know, it's not the same kind of competition like I'm running against you in the, in the, in the 100-yard dash. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the, it, that's, it's not the, it's not the same. Yeah. I mean, uh, so... I mean, and I and I've certainly I knew guys, you know. Oh, I hate you. Got that role? I hate you. And I'm, you know, I never understood that. Never understood that. You were never envious of anyone. I'm not going to tell you I was never envious, uh, but but you know, my my envy for me consciously only showed up if you hired somebody who I didn't respect, <laughs> or you know, you 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 didn't want me, but you took that guy. Really. Uh, uh, but when, when, uh, and, and I, it, it, my whole career, my whole life, there's always been, you know, a, a group of guys who would always go up for the same parts. And some of them were friends, and some of them were just associates, colleagues. Uh, and, it, you know, and, and some of them I had great, deep respect for. So if you didn't get me and you got him, oh, I don't blame you. That Who was, you know, a good job. Here? What? Who are you thinking about here? Oh, uh, any any number of guys: Denzel Washington, Sam Jackson. You know, you know, you know. When we first uh, came up, when we were coming up, to, we're coming up together. You know, and you know, we would sometimes go for the same parts. And, and, and if you got one of those guys. Hey, that's that was cool. Mm. You know, and for the guys who who you know who I would say you took him and. You know, I just for that you didn't get you got him. There's no reason for me to, to mention their name, uh, mostly because they're no longer in the race. Mm. You know, that's kind of what happens. Is that uh, your race is not for the swift, the long but for one. those who can endure. Yeah, it sort of has a way of there's a Darwinistic thing about it, where it kind of slowly over time eliminates those who are not meant to be there for any number of reasons. Least of all, lack of talent. But sometimes you you know you know I mean uh, you know not. <laughs> uh, what? It's uh, uh, Joe Williams said something you know, he it, it, and, and uh, I think it's a little apropos here. He's it, it, it's a it's a strange analogy, but he says, I was married three times before I met my forever wife. He said the others were. The others were all marvelous, but not everybody is livable. (laughs) 
And so I'm going yeah, to take that analogy in this circumstance. Not everybody's livable. You know, and, and that is, you know, I mean, the, the life of an actor, artist, in this industry, in this day and age, it is a life. You know, it's not, this is not my vocation. It's not something I do, by the way. This is, this is what I do. And some of the most talented people I know, very talented people, couldn't deal with the, the, the life of not having a job all the time, the, the, you know, the, the up and down of it. The uncertainty. It's, 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 it's the business that they couldn't handle. It ain't called show, show. It's called show business. And the business of show can sometimes be brutal. You know, it's not, and it's not for everybody. But, you know, I mean, there's, there's some wonderfully, wonderfully talented people whose names you will never know unless you go to the theater in New York, downtown, or, you know, somewhere in the regions. Mm. But they're extremely talented people. When was the business brutal to you? When? Don't roll your eyes at me. Oh my God. Don't I mean, roll I mean, your eyes at me. You look, some, some, you, look, you look at your resume and it's like, well, you've done over 300 films and television shows. And that's over the course of 40 years. Of course. But so that, but you know, so, so, you know, you have, you have downtime. It, you know, everybody has downtime, even, even people who make, you know, three and four movies. A year. I mean, and big movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there a period where you felt like, geez, this is not working out in the way I thought it would? Um, you know, I've, I mean, some, there, there, are, there, are, there are moments of that throughout your life, or through, has been moments like that throughout my life. Sometimes it's not working out the way I thought it was supposed to work out. But I understand profoundly it works out exactly the way God intends. You know, I can cry about what I didn't get or, you know, you know you're going to get what you get. You're going to get what's meant for you unless you do things to screw it up. Mm-hmm. And you can. And I'm not going to tell you that there are not, there are not times that I've gotten in my own way uh, to, some, to some degree, you know, mostly uh, in, in, in egoic ways, things that I refuse to audition for that perhaps I should have. Uh, because you felt like you didn't need to? Well, I mean, sometimes look at the tape. Why do I have to audition for you? Um, Look at the body of work. You know, and, and, and sometimes it doesn't work like that. Sometimes if you want the job, you got to audition. You know, I, I, I remember a great actress whom I respected a lot. I know this story. I uh, like this one. Uh, Irene Worth. And I saw her on the street, and I asked her where she was coming from. She said, oh, oh, oh dear, I just had an audition. And I'm like, you, you auditioning? She said, darling, that's what we do. So, I, you know, after that, if I have to audition, fine. But it has to be something that I really want to audition for. I mean, there, there are some things that, you know, you, can, you get asked to do. And it's just, you know, then it's you know, an ego struggle between me and the producer or the director or whatever. Because it's like, you don't need me. You, you know, if you want to see me at all, you know why you want to see me. So what am I auditioning for? Either you think I can do this or I can't, or, or not. Hmm. There's, there, there's, there's nothing to think about here. If you're thinking about somebody else, okay, have a thought. Make one of us an offer. You know, 
I mean, I mean, you know, and that's, and of course, that's, that, that's, I, don't, I don't make blanket statements about that. There, there are things I'm very willing to audition for. Why not? Mm. It seemed like you auditioned for a fair bit. By the time uh, it's like the 90s, for example, I think I did some number, and it's anywhere from three to five projects a year. That when you're lucky? When you're lucky. You seem like you had a lot of... Uh, uh, listen, I have been blessed and highly favored. I'm not sure but I've also, luck, but I've also, But I've also worked hard for that luck. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I've I put in the work. I've put in the time there. So it's a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what, that's what careers look like. A little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. Mm. And, and I, I believe if you ask anybody that has had any modicum of success at all, uh, they will tell you that. Meryl Streep will tell you that. Mm. Robert De Niro will tell you that. A lot of hard work. Luck, some luck. A lot of hard work. In the midst of that hard work, is it hard to balance, uh, you know, by the 90s, you, you, I know you got married once and you separated and then got married again. Is it hard to balance work? And- Time management has been my biggest challenge my whole life. You know, I mean, that's, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very delicate balance. And I'm not always the best at it. And my wife will attest to that, you know. Um, but, you know, in, in, in my, in my uh, elder statesmanship. <laughs> Is that what you're in? I, I guess you can say that. I mean, you know, I'm entering, I'm entering the, the elder statesman stage of my life. I'm getting better. But still, I mean, you know, it's it's a challenge. Why do you think it has been a challenge? Because I like to work, and you know, I mean, it's always the project that interests me. You know, the 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 character or the piece. You know, I've done now. I've done I've done one more than you know a handful of things that I did not have to do, and some instances wish I didn't do. Uh, most of those projects you don't you won't know about because I don't I don't think that they're listed and if they are listed it's not something that will bounce at bounce up at you it'll be one of those very obscure what was this about and I would say Ugh, nothing uh, you know <laughs> um, but I've been I've been very fortunate in that in that sense that I have been very blessed with doing some great projects working with some great people mm. you know. I have a question. This is a, a larger one about you and your work. Have you done what you set out to do? Sometimes. Depends on the project. Sometimes. You know, I'm I'm, I'm getting to that place in my in my life where I, I get I, you know more and you know you know more and more I'm getting to. Uh, finer tune my instrument and what it is that I want to do. So, I mean, I still, there's still, God, a lot more work to do. Miles, that, miles to go before I sleep. Is that how you feel? That's how I feel. A lot of people, I think, your age think, well, this is the time to uh, retire or pack it in. Well, that's them. You're busier and than ever. For, and, and good for them, uh, you know. I mean, if, if nice work if you can do it, if you want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, a, there was a, you know, I mean, 
about 20 years in, I had wanted to take an, a year off. I just wanted to know what that felt like. <laughs> and so I got to take about a year, almost a year off. Um, and I did, you know, I did nothing like I thought I wanted to do. I just didn't. It was a time I, I, I pissed the energy away. I didn't, I didn't use it well. I, I certainly didn't use it like I, want, I, th I thought I was going to write and do all these creative things. I didn't. What did you do? <sighs> a lot of nothing, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, shifting piles, you know, make, you know, looking like I did something to myself, but I didn't get nothing done. Mm. You clearly have uh, spent the better part of your career, maybe in fact all of your career, working towards all kinds of projects and roles and, and, uh, many of which I think you have a lot of reason to be proud of. I don't know if you are, but... I, I'm, I'm, I, I can say I'm proud of most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, um, when you're thinking about your mother, you as an uh, original mama's boy, do you think she'd be proud of what you've done at this point? Yes. I, you know, I, I, I try to do things of which my mother would be proud. And I think, you know, I mean, I just, I just finished doing a project. I'm working on a project right now. Um, I, I do two musical tributes right now, one to Nat Cole and uh, one to Joe Williams, both of which I wish my mother were here to see because I think she would be very proud. She, 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 she loved the two of them, those two artists. And I think that, you know, she would say, you done okay, boy. You done okay. <laughs> well, um, you may not believe this, but I actually have uh, this song for us to listen to. And then we'll go. Okay. A blossom fell from off a tree. It settled softly on the lips you turned to me The gypsies say, and I know why A falling blossom only touches lips that lie A blossom fell, and very soon I saw you kissing someone new Beneath the moon I thought you loved me You said you loved me We planned together To dream forever The dream has ended For true love died The night a blossom fell And touched two lips that lied I have to say, it has been uh, an absolute honor having you. This has been a lot of fun. I hope uh, you've had a good time. That's my favorite Nat King Cole song. Is it? It is. It's a great song. Uh, you know, and you know, one thing I like about Nat's material and the way he does it, 
I mean, listen to that. One of the things that speaks to me about it are those, it's like, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. You know, those little things, those little sort of uh, inane, insane tests that we put ourselves through to, uh, you know, it's an, an, an exercise and it's a bad ego exercise. You know, if she really loves me, she's going to wink back at me when I wink at her. <laughs> you know, uh, and those, you know, kind of, you know, they're, they're childish things. Uh, but they're real because we do them. Now, I, you know, I, I love the lessons in these songs because if you, when you, you know, Nat sings other songs about, you know, how, you know what we do and how we manifest, how love, what love looks like. Uh, and when you, when you grow up, you understand, you know, it's better if I just go ask her, do you love me? Or just, you know, uh, or tell her, you know, something. I hope that one day you might love me like I love you. But whether or not you ever tell me you love me or love me back the way I love you, that does not stop the stream of love that I have for you that is flowing through me. I hope one day you love me like I love you. But if you don't, if you never do, I still love you. Because <laughs> I can't help myself. That's just, it just is. Hmm. I'll make sure to remember that. Keith David. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Talk to you again. Special thanks this week to Josh Silver and Drew Binkley for arranging the episode. Without them, this could not have happened. If you'd like to learn more about Keith, you can do so at our website at www.talkeasypod.com. Also, uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, there's a good chance you'll enjoy other conversations we've had with actors, including Willem Dafoe, Philip Baker Hall, Fred Malamed, Alan Alda, and many, many more. You can find all those on our website, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, social media by Crystal Farmer, talent booking by Ian Chang, our intern is Elliot Weintraub, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy, and uh, I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. 
This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.